But it's not just about the death of people that makes someone unclean. Leviticus, David, I think it's you, isn't it? Do you want the Leviticus chapter 17, this one is, I think. Anyone, whether native-born or foreigner, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be ceremonially unclean till evening. Then they will be clean. So dead animals as well. You have to wash yourself to become clean again. No roadkill. Although, if you do go in for roadkill, Steve, not that I'm judging, but you can then wait till evening and do that ceremonially washing and then you are clean again. Okay? And I imagine your wife would want you to take a bath after dealing with roadkill anyway, to be frank. But there we go. Okay. But it goes beyond that. This one's going to make you feel uncomfortable, probably. I'm going to warn you now. But this is all about us getting into the mindset and understanding of the Hebrews and what this idea of cleanness and uncleanness meant. And we've picked on Anne to read the squirmy one. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such a discharge is unclean. Whoever sits on anything that the man with the discharge sat on must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. Anyone the man with a discharge touches without rinsing his hands with water must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. When a man is cleansed from his discharge, he is to count seven days for his ceremonial cleansing. He must wash his clothes and bathe himself with fresh water and he will be clean. When a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water and he will be unclean till evening. When a man has sexual relations with a woman and there is an emission of semen, both of them must bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. No sex on Sunday mornings, folks, I think. Now, that one sounds weird to us, doesn't it? Okay. One thing to understand here is this is about ritual purity, not moral purity. So very easily, people will hear a passage like that and think that this means that anything to do with sex is bad. No, 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 no. God is very clear. Sex is good. But this is the idea about a connection with life and death. Okay? And this idea that anything like that is to do with death, in essence. So it's a connection with death that brings that uncleanness that needs purifying from. Hopefully you're starting to get a sense here of how aware the Hebrews would have been of this need to be completely clean before God. And the idea that it's not just the person with the discharge of whichever kind that is unclean, but anyone who touches them or anyone who touches anything they've touched also becomes contaminated. And just in case we think it's only the men who are unclean, we've, we've got to put this one in there as well. Women, brace yourselves. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, 
And anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water. They will be unclean till evening. Anyone feeling a bit grubby yet? Yeah? This is the, the, the context in which this passage from the Hebrews was written about cleansing rites. All of these things, and there's more of them. We could go on to skin lesions and infections and all sorts of stuff that are unclean. And if you are unclean in any way, you cannot come into that holy presence of God, which isn't just about moral purity, about whether you've sinned or not, but it's about ritual purity. That association with anything that is connected to death. And you have to be cleansed from it. And the way that they would be cleansed is through this process of washing, a kind of ritual washing. The typical way that they would wash is in something called a mikvah. This is a modern-looking one. Oh, no, hang on. Yes, and the original picture there is an older one. Okay. The idea was that as part of this ritual cleansing process, they would actually go down into the mikvah and be completely submerged. That idea that not the tiniest trace of the uncleanness would be left on you. You'd be completely submerged. And after going through that process, you would be ritually clean again. Now, this all probably sounds quite weird to us, doesn't it? Yeah? Because we don't, I'm pretty sure, you know, we don't really have issues about, you know, if you're on your period, you're unclean. Isn't really an issue for us. So I've tried to think of how can we actually make this bit make sense for us? How can we understand that feeling of uncleanness that would have been there for the Hebrew people? So I've got a little quiz for you, just in case you weren't squirming enough already, okay? I looked up some fun statistics about the cleanliness of different items, and you're going to have to guess what the items are. So here we go. 50% of what have fecal matter on them? What do we think it's going to be? Toothbrushes, you think? Handbag bottoms. (laughs) The base of a handbag, yeah, shall we see? It is toothbrushes. 50% of toothbrushes have poo on them. Nice. 75% of what contain coliform bacteria? In case you're wondering, coliform bacteria come from poo. Okay? 75% of what contain coliform bacteria, not cauliflowers, Christopher? Any guesses? Hmm? Cups of coffee, toilet seats, dish sponges or rags. Nice. Nice. We could, couldn't we? That would really create a nice atmosphere for people. Who's going to be getting a fresh dish sponge when they get home today? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. One in six what? have fecal matter on them. (laughs) (laughs) Phones. Need to give your phone a wash when you get home, people. 
And I believe this next one is my personal favourite. 47% of what have fecal matter on them? Anyone going to hazard a guess? Mm. <laughs> Beards. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Lovely. Are you feeling grubby now? <laughs> Have you got that sense now of feeling grubby? Yeah? This idea that actually none of those things are about anything morally right or wrong that you've done. They are the consequence of living in a grubby world. Yes? The world is contaminated and therefore we are contaminated. And we cannot come into the presence of God when we are contaminated. In the same way that you couldn't, with any of those things, go into a sterile environment. You're just not allowed in. It just doesn't work. Now, why is this mentioned in this passage about the basics of the Christian faith? Because we said what we're looking at here is the foundations of our Christian faith. And I'm pretty sure that all of this stuff about cleansing yourselves after all of these things is not actually coming up regularly in our Christian faith, is it? No? Pretty sure we don't do that. What's it about? Well, it says in Hebrews that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Reading on from that, but it says, for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. This idea that the law is a shadow of what was to come, those cleansing rites the Hebrews have made them very aware of how impure they were. It makes us aware of how much cleansing we need. But here's the thing. However much we wash ourselves, we can never be completely clean. We can never be completely pure, as hopefully our little quiz demonstrated. However much you cleanse yourself, you're still going to get contaminated. The world is still broken. The world is still contaminated. And the problem is with washing, this this is the thing that bugs me, like with housework, right? You clean your house, and then it gets dirty again, yeah? Does anyone else get really irritated by that? Yeah? You wash the bathroom, leave it shiny and sparkly. Next day, mucky again. So you have to wash it again. I mean, what is that about? It's so infuriating. You have to just do it again and again and again. And just just leave that. Ah, come in. Yeah, that, that would be a really effective strategy, Simon. Thanks, yeah. So for the Hebrews, they were aware of this need to keep washing again and again every time they became contaminated. But 
It says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, Jesus did something quite different. We've got, in all of these Old Testament laws, this idea that if you go near something unclean, you become unclean, yes? So that uncleanness is catching. You become contaminated. Jesus, the Son of God, is perfect. He is holy. He is God. That complete holiness. He came to earth as man, and he approached the unclean. He didn't get made unclean by them. But his holiness, his purity, rubbed off onto them. And so we hear these stories of Jesus touching the sick, the lepers. Leprosy was one of the biggies for unclean. You were separated from the people in case you contaminated them. And normally you'd think they've got to be cleansed before they can come into God's presence. But Jesus, God, the holiness of God, went to them, took his holiness and his purity to them, touched them, and they became clean. The direction has reversed. Do you see that? Yeah. Instead of that uncleanness being passed on to others, Jesus' holiness was passed on to them. But Jesus did more than that because he gave himself up to death. Remember, all of those laws about purity were to do with connection with death. That's the ultimate source of all that impurities, anything linked to death. Jesus, the perfect holiness of God, took himself into death. But death couldn't hold him because he rose again. He took that holiness into the death and came out the other side. There's been a change of direction there. And so it's no longer about this need to continually wash yourself, to cleanse yourself, to make yourself clean, to be able to come into the presence of God. It's about Jesus in his holiness coming to us to make us clean. So these ritual washings then, all of this dunking yourself to be made clean, is that now obsolete? Is that now irrelevant? Because Jesus has come, so we don't need to be cleansed anymore. He's done it for us. Well, there is one washing that is still relevant for us. Baptism. Here's a picture of an early Christian baptismal pool. And here's a more modern one. Do they remind you of anything? They're like a mikvah, aren't they? Yeah? It's the same idea. In the Old Testament times, they would immerse themselves in the mikvah for that ritual cleansing. We now have baptismal pools where we are immersed for that one cleansing. Just as as a little aside, because I'm aware that not all churches dunk people in pools like this. Some churches sprinkle, okay? 
we very much teach that if you're being baptised, it should be by full immersion being dunked like that. Essentially, the reasons are, number one, that's what we believe the people in the Bible did. If you read in the New Testament, the way it's described, it sounds like they were dunked rather than sprinkled on. But it's also because the symbolism of what's going on here is really important. Remember we said if you wash something, it gets dirty again, yes? So that idea of washing doesn't last. You have to keep back and going and be washed. But baptism isn't simply a symbol of washing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Romans 6, verses 3 to 4 says, Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism is more than a washing. That going down into the water represents death. The death of Jesus as he took himself in his holiness into death. And as we're baptized, we're saying, I am putting myself into that death as well. My old life, my life led by me, is going onto the cross with Jesus. And then coming up out of the water is a new birth, coming up in a new life. Not just washed, but a new person. A clean person that stands in the holiness of Jesus, that carries his holiness. And so we no longer need to keep on washing Now, here's the thing. Baptism is a symbol. You don't have to be baptized to be made holy. That verse says, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. At the point that you decide, I'm not going to put my faith in myself anymore because I mess things up. I'm going to turn away from my way and I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to accept the forgiveness that he bought for me on the cross. I am going to put my faith in him and follow him. That's the point at which you are made holy. So why bother with baptism? Doesn't make any difference, does it? But the thing is, we are physical beings, and we can't see the spiritual. That making holy is something which happens in in the spiritual world, if you like. And the problem with that is, if we haven't physically seen it, it's very easy to doubt, isn't it? Things that we can't see, we're like, oh, well, well, is that really, have I really put my faith in him? Have I really trusted God? Am I really forgiven? Am I really living a new life? Baptism gives us a physical symbol to point to, to say, yes, that's the time where I 
decided to put my life into Jesus' death on the cross and to stand again in that new life. Consider, as another example, consider my wedding ring. Here's, let me remove my engagement ring first. Here's my wedding ring, okay? This wedding ring is a symbol of the fact that I'm married to this handsome young man here. If I take my wedding ring off, am I now not married to Chris anymore? No comment. You're undecided. Am I free now? No. No, thanks, Alan. The ring itself is just a symbol, but it's a helpful symbol because it shows that covenant relationship that exists between Chris and I, that we are married. And it declares it to the world so that when I'm going around down the high street and all of those men who are looking at me thinking, whoa, she's gorgeous, they glance at my ring and go, oh, she's taken. There's already a covenant relationship there. That, that is absolutely what happens every time I go down the high street. Yeah, give him a little slap for me there, Joe, cheeky. Physical symbols, although in one sense... They don't matter, but they do because they show something that is there that we can't see. And so baptism is a clear physical sign for ourselves, but also to the world. To say, actually, I have put my faith in Jesus. Actually, I have been made holy. I have been made clean. And so the question for us this morning is, do you believe you are holy? Because if you've accepted Jesus' death and resurrection for you, if you've given up living life your own way and have committed to following him, then you are holy. doesn't matter how unholy or how dirty you feel. doesn't matter what you've done. If you sit there thinking, well... Yeah, but I'm like this. I have this personality trait, or, or I've done this, and I still mess up on that. doesn't matter. If you've put your faith in him, you are holy, you are clean, you are pure. And the way that we show that to the world is through that step of baptism. If you've already been baptised, perhaps take a moment, we're going to close with a song in a moment, and perhaps take that time to remember all that you've been cleansed from. To reflect on how you now stand in God's presence, completely clean, completely pure. You don't approach God now with your head low, in fear, feeling ashamed. You approach God now clean and pure. And if you haven't been baptised, then maybe it's time you got round to it. Maybe it's time that you said, actually, yeah, I have made that decision of faith and it's time to declare it to the world. It's time to mark that day to say, yeah, this is it. I have been made clean. I am putting my faith in him. I am having that once for all washing to say, it's done. I'm forgiven. I am free. I am pure. 
And if you haven't made that decision yet to put your faith in him, if you were here last week, you hopefully heard we were talking about faith and how ultimately in faith, it's not just about believing. The enemy believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You actually have to take a step and come and put yourself under Jesus. And maybe for you, choosing to be baptized is that physical action to show I am putting myself under Jesus. So, band, can you come up and start getting ready to play now? And just while the band are getting ready, I want you to think about where you are in this this morning. What I'm going to do in a moment is give you an opportunity to make a decision to put your faith in Jesus and or to be baptized if you haven't already. And I want to make that as easy as possible for you. And I know that so many of us are probably like me. And you'll think, oh, yes, I really must do that. And then you'll wander off and, well, no, maybe not then. And forget about it. So I want to give you a chance to make that choice here and now this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. And then I'm going to count to three. And if you're thinking, yeah, I want to do this, I need to be baptized or I need to make a decision... I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. No one else is going to see. I'm not going to blab to everyone else. Oh, everyone open your eyes. Look, somebody put their hand up. Just so that we both know. And then we can have a chat afterwards. Okay, so can everyone close their eyes for me now? Because this is a private moment between you and God. And if you know that you want to put your faith in Jesus, whether you've done that before or not, but you're saying, actually, now is the time. Now is the time to make that declaration to say, yes, I'm going to be baptized to show that my old life has died with Jesus and that I now stand pure, holy, forgiven. If that's you, I'm going to count to three and then just put your hand up so that I can see. One, two, three. Well done, thank you. Anybody else? Being nudged and squirming in their seat over this one. Just going to give you another moment in case anyone else wants to make that brave decision. Okay, let's just pray as we move into worship then. Thank you, God that we can come into your holiness, not because we've been able to make ourselves holy, but because you have, Father. Thank you that any feelings of of dirtiness, of not good enough, of being unclean, are not from you, Lord, because in you, we are made clean. We are made holy. You have come and brought your holiness to us. And Father, as we turn our hearts to worship you now. We thank you that we stand with our heads held high as those who have been made clean in you. I want to thank you for those who've made a decision this morning. Lord, give them courage as they follow that decision through. We worship you, Jesus. Amen.
majesty. We stand in the presence of God's majesty. And we are able to do that because we have been made holy by him, by Jesus. What an honor that is to stand in God's majesty. Carry that holiness with you as you go out into your life today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning, guys. If you could give us a hand by stacking the chairs in threes as you go out, that would be fabulous. If you want prayer for anything, do come and grab one of us. We'd be glad to pray with you. Hope to see you next week.